0: Namaste. So, in one of our conversations, the mother speaks about two aspects of grace. One, she says, is uh, the aspect of peace which brings solace to human life. And it's the most valued, most asked for, and not easy to get. In human life and the reason is human life lives on the surface with storms, agitations, turbulences. You rise on the crest and you feel, oh I am so happy, life is beautiful and then it comes down. So the next moment one is in the dumps. And so we are carried upon these waves of the sea not knowing where we are going. So all this creates, I mean… Look for an anchor, you don't find it. So it creates it restlessness, turbulence, agitation. That's how the human life on the surface is an average life, not somebody who has found the anchor within. And in this, uh, there is a line in Savitri, though we must know the context because it's often misquoted. The line is, in this coming and going of things, happy who stand on faith as on a rock. Of course, it is often quoted as uh, the ultimate truth. Uh, And it is, uh, faith is an ultimate truth, but in Savitri it is quoted in another context. It is those who have not yet found the soul. So, what do you stand upon as an anchor in life is faith. Faith, trust, that there is something which, you know, divine is leading us towards something which is beautiful, Kalyana Shaddha. So, that's how it comes in Savitri. Before Savitri has found her soul, she goes in the company of those who are still living in the mind. And, uh, you know, they tell her that, come here, write your book in the book of the elite. And it's very interesting because it's something like when we conform or uh, accept um, a way, you know, a philosophy or a system… And we take it that, you know, it, it helps us to anchor ourselves. But it, this anchoring is in, in a deep faith that all is fine. But this is not synonymous with finding the truth within. It's a first step, not the last. Faith is the light that must change into the real knowledge. So the mother says that, well, happy who stand on faith as on a rock, but I have to move on. She moves on to find the soul. So it should be a starting point and not the, uh, you know, that now I have faith because uh, that's how life is on the surface, full of agitation and trouble and faith gives you an anchor and brings peace. And deep behind this, through this faith, grace can act. So there is this aspect of grace which brings peace. But the mother says there is another aspect of grace which is uh, equally important but not so welcome. And it is the aspect of progress. So what does progress do? Progress pushes us. Peace is like a comfort zone. (laughs) And progress is like a tremendous revolution which pushes us. Even before you realize what's happening in your life and as if a carpet has been pulled from below. I remember one experience of it in... um, in... um, by the shores of uh, Yamuna. I don't. I think it was Agra. Yes, Agra. So, we all had gone for a bath with the family and we all, after the bath, you get those feeling, no? Uh, Yamunaji and Shri Krishna, he is, you know, all along the banks. And everything was fine. Suddenly, we saw some people beginning to run. And they said that Andhi tufanes, you know, that there is a storm which is brewing. Now, You don't know what storm is. Storms as a child, you have faced storms because you see in every um, summer you have some mini storm, low. So we thought it's like that storm, but not realizing when storm comes with the sand around, which is buried, what it can do. So we didn't know what to do and everybody, six of us, we just uh, sat down. And then I still remember the storm, blinding storm. We are all submerged in dust. Not knowing where is what. All dark. It was, you know, Shri Krishna's Shama Roop. <laughs> now I can say this. <laughs> and that moment, the only thing that held you was that I remember my dad telling us all, uh, just Ramka Namlo, you know, he had faith in Lord Rama. So, we were all calling Rama, Rama, Ram, Ram. Then, of course, it was over, cleansed and it was so beautiful to see the sky after that cleansing, (laughs) something amazing. If you see the sky after the storm, then you understand the meaning of this, uh, um, you know, little phrase. Wisdom is the light that comes after the storm. Much later I read this phrase, but I knew it as a child. It is suddenly cleansed. It's amazing the kind of cleansing effect a storm can have. So, something similar happens in life that there is a Sudden surge and a uh, blinding storm and then it goes away. But it leaves you wiser and stronger. But the other aspect is when you are on the shores of the Yamuna, peaceful, happy, quiet. This is what most of the time we want in life. So the mother is invoking in this prayer this peace which is needed for man upon earth. You see in the boons of Savitri, she asks for The peace, first boon is peace. Thy peace, O Lord, in which all creatures breathe. This is the peace which is like a blanket. So February 14th, 1914. And it's much needed in present turmoil. Always it is a necessity. It is the base on which everything else can be built. Peace, peace upon all the earth, may all escape from the ordinary consciousness and be delivered from the attachment for material things. So she is very beautifully uh, reminding us what takes away our peace, but without saying so. It is attachment. Attachment to what? To transient things, material things which will come and go here. Material things is not just about money and objects. Things which have been given by time for a period of time. There is a letter of Sri Aurobindo where he says, blows do not come to you because there is something bad in you. They come to all human beings. Why? Because they are in love with things, they are attached to things which are in their nature transient and cannot last. So, when they are with us, we feel very happy but they come in. And even then, when you are holding them, it is so precarious that it creates constantly a state of inner turbulence, restlessness. Even when you have it, if you look at life closely, this life of… One example that every day we experience, uh, though we forget is, you have a nice food, you know, and you are very happy with that food. How long does the taste last? Until you have taken the sip of water after that, isn't it? And then the hunger comes up again and everything has gone into the background. (laughs) So it is like that. So she is praying for all of us. May all escape from the ordinary consciousness and be delivered from the attachment for material things. May they awake to the knowledge of thy divine presence. Unite themselves with thy supreme consciousness and taste the plenitude of peace that springs from it. So, she's giving us the remedy, the problem and the remedy. So, very often, we, especially in yoga, you have unique justifications. Like, you know, justification is something the mind gives to material things. So, this is necessity, this is this, that, you know. There is no end to necessities. As uh, Mother once said that, <laughs> somebody said that we have to pack our bags for a journey. So, just keep the necessary things. So, one person says, oh, all that I need is a toothpaste, toothbrush. That's all I need. So, mother said, if he had come to India, I would have said even that is not needed. (laughs) You can do it with the finger. Even that is not a need. In that dress, if you are wearing, if it's, you know, jeans, you can wear it for. (laughs) So, all that you need is actually nothing. But the mind need, need, need. But that's how it gets into that net. It's it terrible net in which one is caught. So what is the way out? The way out she is telling us may they awake to the knowledge of thy divine presence unite themselves with thy supreme consciousness and taste the plenitude of peace that springs from it. All other things we call as peace is a momentary respite. There is a beautiful line in Savitri the brief respite from fatigue which we call as peace. You know, whole day you have been around jumping, then in the evening when, you know, you are sipping a cup of tea, there is some human idea of peace. <laughs> sitting and sitting and watching some little bit of evening, nice evening, and say, ah, how peaceful it is here. How <laughs> you go to a hill station and say, how peaceful it is here. And then, next moment, the phone rings. Peace is lost. <laughs> it just takes one phone call. Sometimes, a blank message. <laughs> or, a dele- or a deleted message. can delete other. And it's all gone. See, how transient. This is not what is called as peace. So, we must understand the human conception of peace, like human conception of everything, of knowledge. We have a knowledge. And here she is saying, knowledge that comes from thy supreme presence, which is a real knowledge. All other is not knowledge, but an appearance. And we have perfected, oh, take for instance a knowledge. We have that story, now, Raja Bhartahari. He knew that his wife is the best in the world. Why? Because he was carried away by her appearances. She is the most beautiful woman. And he loved her. And believed that she loved him. And then the Amrit Veil comes. <laughs> and he gives it to her. You are the one I love. What will I do with immortality without you? So she takes it. She passes it on to the mantri whom she loves. <laughs> oh, no, you don't know this story? She gives it to the mantri whom she loves. And the mantri was in love with the courtesan, But he never told her that I am in love with the Kotisan because he was happy to receive the love but he never loved her. <laughs> so he passes it on to the Kotisan. and the courtesan loved the king. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very touching story, you know, our knowledge. And when, so till now the king lived in this very happy state that I am so fortunate that the most beautiful woman on earth, earth that time was Kashi. The most beautiful woman on earth is my wife and she loves me and I love her. What a wonderful life this is. Till this kotesan comes and gives this. <laughs> and he says, where did you get it from? The whole circle goes back and he discovers. And the neat world collapses with one apple. See, apple is so tricky thing. Amrit <laughs> And then a new journey starts. Now see, this is where progress comes in. He said, this piece, this is not what I want which is, can be damaged and dashed to the ground and he goes in search of the highest truth and King Bhartahari becomes one of the great tantric siddhas of his own time and you know what he wrote? He wrote something which Shobindo has translated in English you know, the name of that book Bhartahari's Neeti Shatakam Century of life, you read, it's a marvellous book, all that experience and as fortune would have it, now you see truths, two sides of truth, was his love for his queen false, no, after all this she followed him on the path. And the two together became great yogins. Now, when you look at life like that, so there is a temporary peace which you see in his life, which is a peace of unconsciousness. But then there is a true peace which comes when you unite with the Supreme. So all this we call as knowledge. I know my child is very fond of me, he loves me so much. Oh, I have so much bank balance, you know, I am a very fortunate man. You don't know, (laughs) it will take a moment. And nowadays, uh, Nigeria can do the job, (laughs) teach you that bank balance is nothing. Just takes half a minute phone call. Less than one minute, all your bank details can be striped off. So you see, such is the net in which we live. So she is saying, that peace which comes from thy supreme presence, knowledge of thy divine presence… And thy supreme consciousness, then you get the plenitude of peace. So what is this plenitude which remains throughout? It's a plenitude, fullness. It is not dependent on anything now, changing appearances. Oh, it is so peaceful. Oh, I am so restless. Oh, this is good, this is bad. It's something which stays with us. Lord, thou art the sovereign master of our being. Thy law is our law. And with all our strength we aspire to identify our consciousness with thy eternal consciousness that we may accomplish thy supreme work in each thing and at every moment. So now she is aspiring that all this that we as human beings value for which we put all our strength and energy. No, no more of that. Only your law. She is saying master of a being, thy law is our law. Normally, what do we do? Just the reverse. I want this, I want things to happen this way. There is a human law. And we all have a very good idea of ourselves. So, you know, we are always the best people, the right people and, you know, and God's work is to just keep on slotting it and keep on. And then we want our human law, but the divine law is what we don't know. So she says, now I want only your law to work out in my life. Only that law to manifest. And she's asking it for, with all her strength and aspiring to identify with thy eternal consciousness. Lord, deliver us from all care for contingencies. So, how can we really… discovered this divine law, one of the things is to detach ourselves from this entire storm on the surface. Otherwise, we are all the time blinded by appearances. So, she is saying, care for contingencies. Contingencies like, okay, tomorrow, how do you want to maintain your life? What's going to happen tomorrow? How? All the time our thoughts are, we are already on the surface of things. Uh, say, for instance, you are coming to Pondicherry. Surely people must have experienced this. And you have taken a train. Okay? So ideally, your thought should be with that sublime presence where you are going to meet. Isn't it? <laughs> but where are the thoughts? Are concentration which one? Oh, these people are so dirty, this not that. When does it go to the sublime presence? When you enter and you are… Ah, Then you realize that what is it that you've come all the way for? (laughs) And what happens when you go back? For some time, you may see that's the difference. And then after some time, it fades away. I I remember this on one of the supramental manifestation days. I had come here. So, of course, coming bus. I generally like to, you know, just be alone with myself in the train. It's so wonderful. Anyways, came here. So, after that, through a strange miracle, I had no reservation. And I thought I'll travel in the general compartment. And last minute, my wife's booking has been done two months back and she says, why don't you go and try it one hour before the train is started. Train has actually come on the platform and I have to go and try it, you know. It was two hours before it's on Chennai. So I go and very hesitatingly like that advertisement, no, Maruti station hai So I go and ask the TT casually, you know, I know the answer, you know. Do you have one seat in 2nd AC? Yes, we have just one seat. So he gives me. Now this is an aside thing. So there is a seat. But the best part is that seat is all of us together. Myself, Kavita we had booked two months back. And four other people who were all devotees and we all the way we were just singing bhajans and thinking about mother. It was so wonderful. Six of us, that whole block. As if something had decided. Now, the, what, what is important is that this piece is something which is plenitude. Throughout the journey, there was nothing that, you know, what's happening, who came, who went, everything became irrelevant. So beautiful that whole state was. But ordinarily, we come back to the surface. And that is what is called as the ordinary consciousness in yoga. Ordinary consciousness is not when we do ordinary things. Our idea of ordinary is, oh, if you are sweeping the room, it's an ordinary thing. If you are giving a talk, extraordinary thing. But ordinary and extraordinary has nothing to do with that. So here comes that other thing. Deliver us from the ordinary outlook on things. Ordinary outlook is, you may be given a very nice place, king… Of let us say a nation, and you feel, oh, why am I not an emperor? So you are a poor man, your ordinary outlook of things. Extraordinary outlook is you are sweeping the floor, oh, I have got this opportunity to clean it for the Lord to come, to welcome the Lord. This is extraordinary, this is the difference between Shabri and Rama, and Ravana. Ravana is the king of three worlds Triloka, Dipati, but still his outlook is ordinary he still wants more and what more he comes all the way fool to actually carry his death who has come in the form of Sita you see please, and kidnaps and the man has no reason but he comes all the way to do this this is the ordinary outlook of things Triloka Adhipati, it doesn't behove him, you know, what an undignified thing to do. Whatever Panditi may be, but this was the most undignified thing to do. Where well, look at the extraordinary outlook of things. Shabri is sweeping the floor, 35 years, day and night. People asked, why are you doing this much labour and pain? For whom are you cleaning the whole place? My Lord will come one day. This is the extraordinary outlook on things. And he does come. He comes to Ravana also, but as the dreadful warrior, (laughs) that's a different thing. Because naturally he had carried the power. So she says, Lord, deliver us from all care for contingencies. Deliver us from the ordinary outlook on things. Grant that we may henceforth see only with thy eyes and act only by thy will. Transform us into living torches of Thy divine love. This is what the world needs. It doesn't need, Mother says very truly, and I'm telling you honestly, it doesn't need lectures. It doesn't need uh, seminars. It doesn't need conferences. What it needs is love. If you can embody a drop of that love... It will radiate even if you don't speak a word. And if you speak, let the words be laced with this love. Shivinda says, no, the, the golden light came down into my throat and all my speech is now a song divine. That love must express, rise from the heart. This is what the world needs and suffers from. In fact, it drowned in noises, words, words, words. Sometimes, you know, it's so much that discussions going on in some forums, where one after another posts and counter posts, and you know, Shubindra is written, Shankaracharya has written, somebody is written, somebody has written, somebody has written. <laughs> At the end of it, what have you realized? A drop of practice is much more important than an ounce of theories. <laughs> And good resolution, resolutions, ocean of theories. A drop of practice. What is that practice? It is the practice of just holding her love within us. Try doing it, see? So difficult. Just for one creature upon earth. <laughs> Forget that. One drop of true love. When mother was asked about children, what should we do with, you know, people have, you see books written, practicing, you know, rearing children and all this. She says, just give them a peaceful atmosphere. And then she says, and just if you can add a drop of true love, it is enough. She knew the human condition. Parents will say, but we love our child. We don't love children. We love ourselves. We think they are my child. They are not our children. They have come to us as arrows of time. <laughs> and they will pass on. But my child, that's not love. That's an attachment which and it's okay. But one drop of true love, the power of that. So she is saying at the end of this all, she starts with knowledge. Then she speaks about peace. Then she speaks about the unfolding of the law. And finally she says, Transform us into living Torches of thy divine love So you see the fourfold Aspiration and see how beautifully This is the beauty of mother and Shcherbindo We want um, A technique and a method, mathematical Okay what should I aspire for Ask for knowledge so we have a checklist Ask for knowledge, ask for peace Okay what else, okay mother give me peace Knowledge Look at here, how she is Asking for all this but in what way She is saying, okay, I will read this part and then again. With reverence, with devotion, in a joyful consecration of my whole being, I give myself, O Lord, to the fulfillment of Thy law. Love can only come if there is self-giving. There is no other way that it can enter the heart. Wanting and asking is not love, it is it is wanting and asking, <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> Bargaining is obviously not love. Love is about giving oneself. Peace and why she is giving, so that your will may be fulfilled. Not like, I give myself to you, mother, please ensure huh? all these list of twenty things, my wish list. I have given myself to you, no? And then one is not fulfilled, then the mind says, you'll not think that you have not given yourself. It will say, is she really listening to your prayer? (laughs) Then the second checklist also is crossed, not ticked. Hello? (laughs) But you know, you have still kept three important ones toward the end. (laughs) So, seventeen have gone, uh, this one, definitely. <laughs> it's okay, they were small things. She was teaching me a lesson, all those things. Then the last three, tick, cross. Ma, <laughs> are you really there? Is it all an illusion? Is it all a hallucination? <laughs> one more cross. Pura do na then the reverse starts. All love begins to change into I don't, I don't. What is the use of giving to you? I gave myself to you and see what has happened to me. And then because she loves us intensely, she crosses the last one also. Says, come. <laughs> what will you do? Where will you go? You will rush into her. You have no other option. <laughs> because she has... Closed all the options. Mind you, strategy of God. (laughs) She was closing the options. You didn't realize. She was saying, come. Wait, I am waiting for you. And then your soul rushes and leaps and abandons itself. Then we know what is self-giving. Before that, it's... Mentally, we are saying one thing, but the ego has never given itself. So then, again... She says, peace, peace upon all the earth. So I'll read this wonderful prayer. February 14th, 1914. Peace, peace upon all the earth. May all escape from the ordinary consciousness and be delivered from the attachment for material things. May they awake to the knowledge of thy divine presence. Unite themselves with thy supreme consciousness and taste the plenitude of peace that springs from it. Lord, thou art the sovereign master of our being. Thy law is our law and with all our strength we aspire to identify our consciousness with thy eternal consciousness. The Lord is everywhere and in everything, but the eternal consciousness is asking, not the Sharobhav. That we may accomplish thy sublime work in each thing and at every moment. So mind you, all this illusion that we are doing mother's work, first identify with the eternal consciousness. Till then, work is a means to reach there. So when we do nishkam work, when we do it with this aspiration that mother, make us your instrument, we are actually striving to reach that state. But we are not doing mother's work. What is more true is mother is getting her work done through us to help us grow. She could let it be done through anybody. But she is giving us a chance to grow and progress. That's her grace and infinite mercy. Because somewhere we have aspired. But to imagine that we are doing mother's work. This is one of the biggest illusion. We are doing mother's work. Mother is doing her work. (laughs) Through whom? Universal nature. Still, something must be there. Instruments designed by nature. So where are we? Say that we offer ourselves to you, then what will happen? Then I will design instruments. I will change your nature. Then you can do my work. That will be something. Transformation of nature. Then only at each moment, we will allow that law to unfold. Otherwise, how can we, what really is work? So that at each instant, we do what she wants us to do. As simple as that. Isn't it? At each moment. Otherwise, it's all our mental plan. We can hold a seminar, make a very good arrangement, <laughs> give nice gifts to people, have excellent food, everything, even have a cultural trip outing. Yeah, all these things I see it, no, that's why. Have some manchasi, in adhyaksha or sabhaapati mahode, all this drama. Mother and Sri also are there, also, whom we go and do malyarpan, do some deepam, after that, Matlab, all human ego at its peak, <laughs> so and so is highly qualified. It's all the play of ego starts, isn't it? Is it not true? We are just, uh, we should not uh, gloss over the hypocrisies of human life, isn't it? And then we say, we are here to do mother's work. Let us be humble enough to say, mother, only you can do your work. <laughs> We stupid ignorant fellows are putting ourselves at thy feet. If you think by your own will that you can lift this grain of dust and put it on your feet, forget the mata, we'll be grateful enough. Touch it with your feet. Then one day she touches with her feet this sand that we call ourselves, picks it up, puts it on a mata and then it becomes tilak chandan. That's the difference That we may accomplish Thy sublime work In each thing And at every Moment Lord Deliver us From all care For contingencies Deliver us From the ordinary Outlook on things Grant That we may Henceforth See only With Thy eyes And act Only by Thy will Transform us into living torches of thy divine love. With reverence, with devotion, in a joyful consecration of my whole being, I give myself, O Lord, to the fulfillment of thy law. Peace, peace upon all the earth. Namaste.